switch my microphone stand to this like that it's like yours now uh-huh. and um where it's so for the listener it's just like a round like metal base that sits on my desk in front of me and then i like talk into it just like a stand-up microphone i usually have this swinging arm that like points to my face like streamers but i was so this is like the piece that connected into it and it sits out like this and like i went to go adjust the mic up and then like a plastic piece in here snapped off so it no longer held there and i like hold it so i just i went into my drawer back there and i just grabbed this base because i got four of them they came with the whole like podcast equipment up here that we did in japan i just didn't bring the metal bases and then I saw that everything like screwed in perfectly. They must be universal, so it all uh, it all fit. This is what I'm using for the podcast. So the swinging arm just kind of fell apart for a second. That... Yeah, it did. It just went. So I gotta get I gotta get a new swinging arm because a new like arm because this is broken. I have a new one. I have more. Um, I have like two other ones. Speaking but... of uh, swinging arms, did you see the Russell Brunson? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my dear, I was not <laughs> expecting that. That was so good. <laughs> I yeah, I, I saw my chance and I took it. Um so did he. <laughs> but I, I have opinions. I, I I have feelings about this. Um so let let's let's do a quick recap. Yeah, let's back up for a second. Because this is new. Well, this is this is new as of us recording this. Uh, it's not it, it might not be new by the time it comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I I was um, in a group kind of like I was, we was talking about how Alex Hormozzi and uh, has invested in uh, Sam Ovens school. And I've never been a Sam Ovens fan because I'm going I'm going back on the lore, but I've never been a Sam Ovens fan because it's very much like a Ty Lopez. He just sells courses to people who aren't qualified to run an agency or deliver those services. And when Alex Hermosi invested and became partner in school through acquisition.com. It didn't bring Hermo or didn't bring Sam Ovens up a notch in my book. It brought Alex Hermosi down a notch in my book. And I was explaining this in a group. And then, uh, what was it? Chris Walker, who was on the podcast, he commented and he goes, yeah, well, at least they don't punch kids. <laughs> and then I go, hold on, back up. Excuse me. Who's punching kids. And so he sent me a news article uh like highlighting of like russell brunson was at his kids wrestling meet and like punched another kid twice and then i was like i gotta find this video so i found the video and then what it, it turns out to be is like his his son is getting pinned and i guess he thought it was like an illegal hold so he like gets out on the mat and like like is a straddling the back of the kid and punches the kid twice in the back of the head and then, like, before he's, like, kicked off the mat and probably out of the – out of, I guess he got a lifetime ban from that, too. But that was, like, on January 20th this year. So, like, fresh. So, I told Cody about it. Sent a message about it because I posted on Reddit. I said, so how many how many people are uh, switching from ClickFunnels to high level? <laughs> and then I posted a link to it. And then Cody just goes, yeah, so about that video. Where's that video at? <laughs> <laughs> well, so the reason it came up, Jenny, we went out to eat. And I told her um, about this. And so she comes from a huge wrestling family. Dad was a wrestler. Uncle was a wrestler. The coaches, you know, the whole shebang. And um, she's like, well, I want to see 
I want to see the video because there are legitimate times where um, her brother, Nate, was like in a bad spot because wrestling can get very serious and then you're concerned about, you know, their livelihoods and whatnot. So um, we, I asked you to send it. Um, you sent it over then we watched it and I have opinions. I think they're a little counter to what people are doing and what they're saying across the board. Um, and it's first things first is on the whole, we both agreed that, yeah, everything that kind of happened made sense. There's some, I have some confusion. Because Hold on, like the punching the kid makes sense. <laughs> not, it doesn't justify it, but you can understand why he did it. Sure. Right. So you're a dad, you're the coach, but you're the dad, your, your son's in a bad spot. So bad that you're concerned about his, and look, the, the video's potato quality too. Like it's, as far as how far away it is from actually being able to see in detail what's going on on the mat, you can't see it great. So just assuming that he's able to see something better than you can, that you're concerned about his life, you're the dad, and then you jump in. So I can understand being a dad and feeling an obligation to do that. Now, I'm confused as to why he's winding up for punches when he has a wrestling background. <laughs> that's, that's where I, when I saw that, I go, okay, yeah, I mean, this, this doesn't look good unless he's got some sort of like striking training too. I don't know, kickboxing, martial arts, whatever. Um, winding up twice is not a good look. Um, but I say all that. And then you see him immediately afterwards, understand like, Oh, I messed up. I messed up immediately. Like, cause he does the hands. He starts walking away. He knows he's done. Like, it's like varsity blues, right? And the the coach like hits the kid and then he just walks out right away because he knows that he's done. Um, not quite as dramatic. But I say all that because I think everything that happened was it makes sense, right? A lifetime band serious. He's he knows that he's done there. And but when you just watch the whole video in context, I hope that this doesn't extend to everything else in his life. And that and that's actually why I wanted to talk about it and bring it up is because I feel like everybody's pimping it out. Cause that's what the internet does for attention. And we're, we're on the list because I wanted to do it too, <laughs> but I wanted to do it in such a way that says, I really hope that uh, it, it doesn't like affect his business, ruin his life. Because if you, if you look at it without everybody else's commentary, it just looks like a good guy who made a, a very bad mistake and he's gotten the appropriate consequences. And that I hope that it doesn't just completely overflow into every other thing. Like, you know, it happens with other people who they're just people and then the news latches onto something and then their entire life is a different thing now. I have a counter argument. Okay. And two, two counterpoints, I should say. Uh, counterpoint number, well, first of all, I do want to say I can empathize with people who make grave mistakes, uh, especially like this. So like, yeah, it does suck, but also expect the consequences. Right. Um, I'm not going to think less of Russell Brunson, surprisingly. I mean, why? It's hard It's hard for me to think lesser, but um, it's not going to cause me to think less of him because of this, because I know he will make mistakes. However, I do think it should affect multiple aspects of his life and his business and because of how serious it is. My counterpoint is, one, there was a very trained referee six inches away on the ground looking at the hold. Um, and... Make And he is there to make sure not only everybody is playing fair, but also playing safe. Um, and it, ultimately, it didn't turn out to be an illegal move. Um, and then second is, I think it kind of goes to your, like, why are 
why are you like striking? Um, also, the back of the head. I have seen numerous MMA fighters and boxers get punched in the back of the head and have lifetime paralysis. And like, yeah. and like that's that's extremely dangerous. And that's where he went. And if I were the kid's parents that he hit, I would sue him for everything he's got. Do you know wrestling? Do you know what an illegal move is? Uh, yeah, my brother was. I I was in wrestling. So was my brother. Okay. So yeah. you you you're a wrestling pro? No, not a wrestling pro. No, because I don't. I, that's yeah. No, no, just somebody tells me. All I know is from the context. Here's because well, here's what I I've known from what I've been told from people who are more into wrestling, which is it wasn't an illegal move. Should it have been? That's what the ref was looking for. And mm. so and and for me, I'm like, why are you jumping in on this match? Like, deal with it afterwards. Second, like, you trust the refs. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I was in judo and I trusted the refs there. And yeah, I, judo. I just think back to I think, I think back to high school sports and like the stuff that happened. It's not supposed high school. It's like middle school. <laughs> it was? I thought it was high school. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, even so, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. If it's in school sports, and I think of the refs that are like, some of them are volunteer. Most of them are volunteer. Maybe some of them are making a little bit of money. But, I mean, man, the, the stuff that we did in football that, you know, seriously went unnoted by refs and how much that we couldn't really rely on them to... Yeah, I, I mean, I think like even even if someone didn't trust the refs, especially Russell Brunson's dad, who was apparently a wrestling coach, uh, wouldn't go for the striking. Like pull the kid off, like pull him. Like, if, if he like jumped in and pulled the kid off instead, mm. this wouldn't be a thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I've been thinking too. Yeah, <laughs> you just go there and you're like, I'm gonna, striking. I'm gonna paralyze this kid. <laughs> you know, like, so I was just like, jeez. So, um, yeah, anyways, those are, those are my counterpoints. Okay. Yeah. Good. I, I want to know what the listener thinks. You guys should let us know what you think. Do, or, do you understand Russell Brunson? Um, or do you think, uh, do you think like me and you think the kid's parents should go and sue him for everything he's got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just an opportunist. <laughs> that's, that's it. We're going to get some hate for that one. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, like seventy five sides. Yeah, well, sure. Uh, fifty percent of this is entertainment. The other fifty percent is like we have no expertise on <laughs> any of this, or just seeing on the outside, looking in, just giving uneducated opinions about it. <laughs> you say uneducated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's my favorite kind of opinion. But we, what we can give you though is educated opinions on how to go from a freelancer to an actual agency. Ooh, good transition. That's Dude, good. We're all in on the transitions today. Uh, so I wanted to do this episode. I had a negative spin on it, but Cody's like, let's do a positive spin. So my negative spin, I don't even know if I want to say it, but yeah, don't do it. Okay. I won't do it. So uh, what, I was having some, I've, <laughs> I've been deep in the Reddit conversations and deep in the Reddit <laughs> posts uh, because apparently there's a lot of opportunity to get our message out on reddit and kind of help other agencies grow through there and uh, what i've noticed is that there's like a lot of people who are really stuck in their ways on reddit and they don't understand that how other models work and they jump to conclusions immediately so an example that i that i was talking to cody about earlier today was that i someone on, on reddit posted about how you can, uh, you know, does anybody have any retainers that are under a thousand dollars a month? And I was like, yeah, most of our clients are under that. They're like seven fifty a month, and 
immediately people were like, were like, wow, uh, bless your account managers basically saying like, they probably want to kill themselves because of all the work they're putting in for, for nothing. And then, uh, the other thing, the other side of that was like, someone just said, yikes. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, dude, you know, nothing about the business model. Um, so that kind of leads to this other one, which is a conversation I had quite a while ago, but I was trying to explain internal hourly rates and, and productized services and how, if we're, if our management fee is only $500 and our internal hourly rate is $125 per hour, that means we're only going to spend four hours on a specific client per month. So that allows us at once, if we set those barriers that allows us to scale as an agency versus a freelancer. Um, and we can explain more about this, but I, Cody is way better at going from like step one to like step 10. I usually start at like step five and just like, <laughs> we'll back up and go to step one when needed. So I'm going to let Cody, I'm going to let you start it off with like, what, what, are, what is the first way? What's the first thing that someone has to think about when transitioning from that freelancer role to, you know, going into the agency route? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta talk about the Reddit thing first for a second. Cause it just, <laughs> I know the people saying this stuff. I worked with them. And I mean that in the nicest of ways because they're nice people. Until you try to get them to stretch their mind one centimeter from what they know, and all of a sudden it doesn't work. And it's not possible, and it breaks the laws of physics. Um, you can sort those things out. Those Just because it's not what you know with the business model that you're familiar with, your agency. Because when when I hear that, I agree. I agree with the concept. If you are used to normal agencies, um, normal as in we have a pretty specific way of doing things and we've honed it down to work. And then if you didn't do as much detail as we did with a lot of these things, it would not go nearly as smoothly. So, yeah, when you say $500 retainer, um, a lot of people panic. And then they, yeah, if you just on the whole, you think you do the math. And this, this was one of our first conversations, Jake, when I said, we're going to have to work on upsells or have this down to manufacturing science. Because if we have account managers with nothing but $500 retainer accounts, they're going to have nothing but a very long account list. And that is a huge mental toll to, to do, right? So how do you combat that? You get it down to a science, right? You, in the nicest of ways, turn them into a number on the spreadsheet that you need to make sure everything is done properly and managed. And then once you get those upsells and then they start moving up, then you can pay more attention and that sort of thing. But for the most part, it's just a, a system that everybody goes into and it works for most people. That, and then in addition, you set the expectations with your team and your account managers that you're not going to crack down hard on them for not knowing this client has this kid who's in soccer practice so they can't do meetings on Tuesdays or something, right? It is too much mental load across the total number of, of accounts that they're going to be managing. So yeah, is it a lot? It is, but you can do things and set it up properly so that the expectations are clear and that it's not, you know, um, the flip side is that you have very large accounts that spend lots of money and then you're stressed about different things. Some people are like, oh, you know, God bless those account managers because they're dealing with so many accounts. You know what's worse, potentially, to some people? The fact that 
you know, um, let's say the complete flip side, the complete opposite direction that they have to go to some gala where they have to dress up and then go schmooze while drinking wine and socializing. And I mean, most account managers are going to like that, but (laughs) that's, that's the opposite side. And maybe that really stresses them out just as much, if not worse than the variety that they have to deal with at a smaller account, because that client spends a million dollars a year. And if they say the wrong thing, here's a story, right? Here's one of the agency that uh, I was at and something happened. They made a client mad, so mad that it almost jeopardized the relationship because the account manager that went to the meeting with the client yawned. He yawned in the meeting because he just had a kid. His wife had just had a kid. So he stayed up all night the night before making sure that everything was okay at home. Still went to the meeting, yawned, and the client took it in the wrong way, as if he was bored and not just sleepy and tired, right? Pass. (laughs) That's the flip side. That's the other kind of stress that you deal with when you have very, you know, expensive. And everybody's like, we'll just go into the sweet spot. Yeah, of course. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants just, oh, yeah, 2,000, 2.5,000 profitability clients. I mean, not profitability. What's the word? Gross profit. Gross profit clients. You've got like five of them per account or whatever. And then it's just this breezy world where you don't have to worry about any of the stress because everybody's happy, go lucky. And it's amazing. That's not real for everybody. It's not real for most people. There's going to be the spectrum. So, um, well, even, the, even, even, about, the, even then, like once you get into that, that sweet spot, that's when like boundaries are blurred in terms of mm-hmm. expectations. So, you see a lot of the times you're stretching the scope of work you're you're doing you having a lot of scope creep and when you have multiple clients with scope creep it, that's when it starts to get stressful and so you can either go on two different sides of the spectrum you can go on that consultative side which is super high dollar but also really based in relationships and then you can go on the other side which is kind of where we're at which is really like a productized commoditized service mm-hmm. that um, is hands off and there really isn't much of a face to the service besides mm-hmm. the owner. So I'm, I'm going to completely flip this in the opposite direction that I've written things down because I want to say the first one is that why freelancers struggles to turn into agencies. You're not cut out for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm very serious. Um, if you struggle to stretch your mind that much to imagine that people can live a life and they can be account managers where they don't hate themselves with clients at at $500 a month because they figured out something, something that you're incapable of thinking of in a way that the, the internal part of the agency is structured so that they're happy. If you can't do that, you're not cut out for this. If you can't stretch your mind and come up with these kinds of solutions to problems that enable the profit, you know, the, the profitability of the business, just the viability to be successful, it's not for you. Right. And you can be in one of two different, uh, other crowds, I would say. Um, I said before, there's like kind of two categories of, I mean, there's more than two, but if we, if we just strip it down to two categories, I think of people who could be listening with entrepreneurs, you can have like the high ticket consultant sort of deal. You can charge a lot for your services. You can be very good at it. You're like an individual contributor and you don't want to do the team. You can still make lots of money that way. Um, it's the solopreneur route. And especially now with the internet, people have shown that that can be very successful. You can do that. That's one route you can go. You don't need to have a team and manage people and all that sort of stuff. You can also just not do this at all. You can just go be an S tier employee 
for a team, make very good money at some place that appreciates you. We're going to need that. Everybody needs that, right? That's... I said, uh, I actually, there was actually like a, a Reddit post on this that I responded to. So someone was like, I'm, I'm pivoting from an agency to a consulting model. Um, mm-hmm. And has anybody ever done that? And what are the pros and cons of scaling? And I said, uh, which could be controversial. I could get some some uh, down votes for this, but. That's just this episode at this point. So. Yeah, I, I, said consulting <laughs> mo- I said consulting models aren't as scalable, but can still make a ton of money. You can make the argument by using companies like Deloitte but I think those are the really the exceptions. With the consulting model, your payroll is going to be your biggest expense because uh, as you grow, you're going to have to hire rock stars and can't necessarily train people to be the level you need them to be because it takes experience. In a consulting model, you're training people to literally replace every part of you. In an agency model, you're training people to only to re- people to only be small parts of you. Um, and I think like. So agency is more scalable, but I also don't think the profit margins as high are are as high in an agency model as consulting. So it just depends on um, what you really want to do. I, I don't I don't want to get into a consulting model because then you have to hire people that you, you have to put more trust in every single hire that you do. And I'd rather just be able to hire roles that I can just crank out with processes. Well, yeah, and that's that's our system. So uh you there's all sorts of we we have one system that we talk about you can do it different ways too so uh the agency i worked at before i I jumped ship for here a a crass explanation of how the business model worked and i say this very affectionately because i think it was amazing and brilliant how they did it they had a a web design company before they went into marketing and the web design company was very successful and they used that to bankroll the marketing side of things. So they immediately got rid of the problem of we don't have money to pay people for talent to get this thing off of the ground and started smoothly, right? We're just going to cut out the years of major struggle because we have the salaries for high talent, people who can just do all the stuff. We don't need processes. We don't need systems. We can pay the smart people to do things and then we'll just skip the, the struggle part. That's awesome, right? And the second part of that was... <clears throat> If you, I mean, this is the the base game thing too. If you pay in the top 10%, maybe not 10%, right? You can base it on your local, you can base it on whatever. If you pay exceptionally well and you give people golden handcuffs, then no matter what little bumps or frustrations that they run into, it doesn't matter because they're not going to leave, <laughs> right? Um, pay people well enough, especially the talented ones, the, the skilled ones. And that's why I've talked before, we just did this recently about payroll being high. If you have payroll being very high as a percentage of your your gross profit um, and you're paying for talent and that sort of thing, it makes sense, right? You're paying for the best of the best. They're really doing some some big things to help your agency move forward. Um, that's where the money should be going. Uh, it depends. There's that spectrum of how much do you want to be paying for that? How much do you want to take on yourself? How much do you want to struggle in the the internal growing part too? Or do you even have some of those resources like... Jake and I, we don't have, we don't, we're not venture backed. We don't have the only cash in the bank that we have is ours. Um, everything is bootstrapped here. So we're, we're working within our own limitations and it's fun. I like it that way. We like it that way. Um, the other side of thing is it's a different business model and that's, that comes with its own headaches and different things to deal with. But all of this to say, 
I'm bringing it back to the the title, the explanation. Freelancers, why do freelancers struggle to turn into agencies? You need to charge accordingly, period, right? Are you, do you have the finances sorted out? And if it's just that first jump, that first split, this is the one I see all the time. Very smart people who are, are freelancers and they do very good work who cannot make the that first big, scary jump. And it's because you just have to charge more, period. <laughs> um, if if you are, okay, maybe, maybe not. I'm going to say nine out of 10 people need to charge more, period. Because usually they're doing the mistake. You've said this. I like how you said it. They're doing the mistake of you aren't charging enough because you have your day job. So you're banking on your day job income. So you're not charging as if you were going to be living on this money. You're charging as if it's your free time money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not appropriately. It's like, it's worth more because it's your free time money. This so you should the, charge more for it. This is one of the things that like, I remember saying that you're quoting me on. Cause every time you like quote <laughs> me, I'm like, I said that I remember saying that because this stuck, this, this sticks out to me. Um, my brother is a pastor in Wyoming and started a side gig of personal training. He's also, he's a very fit pastor. He's got biceps of steel. And, um, he was like, I don't know how much to charge for, like personal training. And I said, well, okay, if you were to get a job, like an actual job. So one thing about being a pastor, it's not like a mega church pastor. Pastors make almost no money, probably like 300 bucks a month, depending on what church you're in. And he's in Wyoming. So his church isn't very big at all, but it's paid in cows. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He gets paid. He gets paid in uh, hopes and prayers. Uh, (laughs) Well, I guess literally, but he, I was like, okay, so if you were to get a job today, how much would you, would that be? Like, what are, what's like the range you're looking for, uh, based on your experience? And so he used to be a police officer and I don't, police officers, they're, sorry, depending on the town, they, uh, I don't know if you know this. I used to, I have a stuttering problem. No, you don't. I do. Yeah, I've stuttered all my life. This is like the Asian thing where you're like, I'm Asian. I'm like, you're not. This is the same <laughs> <laughs> yeah For no real? i yeah seriously i've had a stuttering problem all my life but i've slowed it down a bit but sometimes like what what struggles for me are words that end in like an h like a eh sound or mm-hmm. uh and then words that begin with the same or are similar and like those are really hard for me to like loop together i think those are hard for me yeah there's other words that do it too i i don't really keep track but yeah, I, I've gotten a lot better at it over the years. Anyways. Oh, today I learned. Okay. Yeah, so he is depending on where you're at for police office, you can make anywhere between like 50K and 100K. And so I think where he was, it was like 70-ish, 70, 80. And he goes, well, I guess I would charge like, like you know, I, I would be expecting about 35 bucks an hour because that's roughly you take a salary of 70K divided by hourly. It's about 35. And... I said, okay, so then you should charge 70 an hour for your consulting, uh, for your, for your personal training. And he goes, what? That's insane. That's a ton. I'm like, that's really not what you're doing is like, you're, you're people are paying for your free time because you have your day job, which is his being a pastor and he's got to work just as many hours as we do. And when you are selling your free time hours, so if you're working full time and you're doing a freelance thing and you're selling your free time hours, those are way more valuable to you 
because if you just charged what you charged, what, what you made at an hourly rate at your day job, then just work more at your day job. And if your salary, then just get another job on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you need to start your own thing and moonlight when you can just moonlight at McDonald's <laughs> as like a, yep. you know, so um, you should, you should always be charging more for your free time. And a good rule of thumb that I use is just double, double what you think you're worth and whatever you're worth is what you can get in a day job salary. And then that double becomes what you're worth in your free time. Once your free time is consumed, that's when you can start raising your own prices for your free time. And, it, you know, you can just take it from there. So from a freelancer's perspective, I always say your base should be double what you can earn at a day job. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's not that's not what I suggest for like if you're trying to create a business model like an agency to scale it. Um, it's a little different from there. But I figured you had more to say on that or something. Yeah. So that's. It is based on your business model. Which direction are you going to go with this? So we're talking about freelancers. You just want to be a profitable freelancer. Very simple. You charge whatever you charge. When you get too busy and you can't take on more work, you double your rates. You lose half your work. You keep half. Well, not necessarily double. I mean, maybe like increase by like 25%, 30%. I mean, it doesn't. Whatever it is. You maybe yeah. lose 75%. Maybe you lose 10%. Whatever, right? You. The only way to grow is to, if it's just you, charge more, right? So... I mean, there's, there's, let's make, keep it simple for the sake of keeping it simple. The only way to grow is to charge more. So you double, you lose some, you double again, you just rinse, repeat, you keep doing that. And then you make more money as a freelancer. So depending on where you at, where you at, where you at, depending on where you're at with that, you can be either not making a lot <laughs> or making a, a lot, lot and moving to the agency thing is going to do one of two things. One, you can't make the jump because you're not charging enough. Or two, you're going to be taking a cut because now you're selling other people's skills that aren't as good as you because you're going to have to teach and train them or have them follow processes and systems that you created. And it's not worth as much as when you're doing things, right? Either way, the, the thing is you need to be prepared for that. And then so the second one is accepting short-term losses for long-term gains. This is the other thing. You have people who think they want to do the agency thing. They've done whatever with their day job. They've started making money on the side. They're happy. They're excited. They're like, ah, oh, this is awesome. I finally have extra cash in the bank now. Well, if you want to build an agency, say goodbye to your cash for at least, you know, a couple more years because you got to make a team. You have to pay them. They need to make money. And how are you going to do that if you're taking all the money for yourself? The agency thing is delayed gratification. You're signing up. This is this is the the epitome of the capitalist market of, of the trade-off that we make is that as the business owner, you are signing up saying I'm betting on the future and I'm going to give up a lot right now. A lot of things that I would ultimately not rather do, but you know, when I'm down and depressed, I'm, I'm thinking about what I would like to do. Yeah. I wish I was making more money. I wish I wasn't working this much. I wish, uh, I was eating better. I was going to the gym. I was taking care of myself. Um, you're trading those things off for the future payoff and you're giving those, the people that work for you, those things in the meantime, so they can have some, you know, stability, security. Those are the words. And then that's what you're betting on. And it might work and it might not, but that's what you sign up for as the owner. And if you don't want to do it, go back to my first, my very first point, you're not cut out for it. <laughs> don't do it. That's fine. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But assuming that you are doing the agency thing, that is what you are signing up for. You are you are taking your short term, or I mean your long term win at the expense of you know many short term gratification things. So how does that make you feel when I say it that way, Jake? You agree? I, I agree. Yeah, because I so some of my points were I said I, I said a lot of the same thing that Cody is saying in his notes. I just say it differently. So like one thing I said is hourly labor rates are selfish for freelancers. When you're a freelancer, you're only thinking about yourself and how much you're willing to make uh, when you do a specific project. Well, how much are you willing to make when you're not the one doing that and you have to pay someone else to do it? So are, are you going to figure out a markup from there? Um, and then, uh, I mean, one thing you can do is you can take your day job salary, you can double it, and then you can add a markup for payroll. About 30% is a good markup. Or maybe do 40%. And uh, personally, I would do 50% because if you include like if you're an agency and 50% of your expenses are either payroll, marketing or operating expenses, like, you know, website domains and software and things like that, um, then mark it up. So a really good formula to do what we did, uh, first of all, is we just guessed. We said, well, you know, the the average uh hourly rate for a marketing agency is anywhere between $100 and $200. And since we're not like the cream of the crop, we're kind of just getting started out. We started out at $100 an hour. And then we raised that, I think, after a year or two to $125. And we're getting close to raising that to $150, which means that we have to um, raise our package price to $650 instead of $500 to keep the same amount of hours. And uh, but a, a really good formula to use if you want to calculate what your own hourly rate should be moving away from the freelancer space to an agency space is take that take that day job income. So let's just say you make fifty thousand um, dollars. That's twenty five bucks an hour. Uh, double that. That's your freelancer rate. Fifty bucks an hour. And then add a fifty percent markup or. Uh, not a 50% markup, do, uh, sorry, 100% markup, 50% margin. Those are the same things. So 50%, uh, 100% markup would be doubling it, basically. So it's uh, it's it's saying like 50% plus 100% markup is $100 an hour. Um, a 50% margin would be if you take the difference, uh, what is it? It's like um, 50... How do you how do you calculate the margin again? It'd be I'm trying to work backwards. I can't. You basically I get I don't remember the formula, but you basically your margin between whatever your hourly rate is, so fifty dollars an hour. Um, if you want it to be a fifty percent margin, then it has to be double that. So um, I, I don't know why I can't think of the formula for it. Maybe I'll put it in. The I show spaced notes. off for a mini second there, and then I I like I lost. There was like three words where it just so, came to a so, different world. So I'm yeah, sorry. when I when I when I sold scales like industrial scales, I would usually do like a margin markup. So if I wanted to make fifteen percent on a reseller and something cost like five hundred dollars, what I'd do is I'd divide it by point eight five. Yeah, that would and so eighty eight dollars is a fifteen percent margin. Um, so five hundred eighty eight dollars would produce a fifteen percent margin of a five hundred dollar cost. So. Let's just say your cost then is fifty dollars, yeah, because that's what it, that's that's the hourly rate that you have as a freelancer. And then you, if you want a fifty percent margin, 
you have to divide that by 0.5 and that's a hundred dollars there. That's a formula. So divide it I by Google it every time. I'm not yeah. going to lie. People <laughs> think they're like, Cody, you're so you do media buying. You're good with numbers. We have to Google. We have to do this for our credit card processing fee. <coughs> so our credit card processing fee is 2.9% that takes it from the total. So we need to make a 2.9% margin on the invoice. So then we take like whatever the cost, $1,000 t- uh, divided by 0.971. And that gives us the margin that it'll pull from. But that's math. Okay, so $50, just double it. So like if you now if you made $70,000 a year, then and that would be $35 an hour, your freelancer rate is $70, your, uh, your cost or your uh, agency price should be 140. Um, once you start getting a little too high, I think like once you're like kind of passing that of like, hundred dollars between hundred dollars and two hundred dollars an hour um you know maybe bring it down a little bit just be a little more realistic but um this really works for people who are doing like forty thousand who kind of like a low entry level job who want to freelance that'd be 80 bucks an hour that's your agency rate so once you go over 200 i imagine you're golfing every day right (laughs) yeah serious if that's where your your hourly is at and you're not the one doing the work, then you're the one on the golf course closing deals and then other people are doing it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping this is resonating with uh, some people because if you're making $100,000 an hour now or $100,000 an hour, fuck hell yeah, yeah brother. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> then don't start an agency. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> uh, uh, but if you're making $100,000 a year, then, uh, you know, maybe this formula is not going to work for you because now you're charging 200 bucks an hour and you better be providing $200 an hour worth of service. And that's just kind of like the top end of the agency model. So uh, again, hourly labor rates are selfish when you're a freelancer. Uh, The next thing I had was disassociating from your money. So you've Mm -hmm. brought this up in multiple episodes, which is Mm -hmm. when the money comes in as a freelancer, that's your money. Uh, as an agency, that's not your money. That's the business's money. And whatever you allocate to pay yourself and your partner or whatever, uh, that is the business paying you. So when we get a $1,000 profit from a client, we can we can do quick math and I can know that I'm probably going to get 20% of that because the other, the other part is split with Cody and then the rest of it is payroll and operating expenses and things like that. And creating like physical walls for how things are defined. And I really want to get Mike McCallowitz on this podcast and talk about the profit first system, because when you set those walls up, you don't even have to like, you don't have to wonder how much money you're going to make when a client pays you. You just know because those allocations are going to go to different accounts because you've set those barriers. And additionally, like we've taken the extra step of creating separate actual bank accounts for every account. So we have, a, we, have a, we have a bank account for payroll and a bank account for operating expenses, bank account for uh, for, for profit and, and whatever. And so we can physically see how much money is in all of those. And when we get that money in on a monthly basis, we make those allocations. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's just what I had to say about disassociating for money. I don't know if you want to add to that because that was kind of a new point. Yeah, no, um, I like how you said it. I think uh, it's important. I think the best way that we can exemplify this is when we go out to eat uh, (laughs) with with more than just us, right? And then, you know, we get the the thing. Like this last weekend when we went to, I went to Iowa City to paint your basement and brought Lauren. Yeah, 
But let's say it's the the minions and not Lauren, just for the sake of them saying thank you after the meal. And then they're like, thank oh. you guys. And it's coming towards us. And we're like, thank Jake. And then Jake says, thank Cody. And we just like push it off because it doesn't feel like our money. <laughs> it does, like the company paid for it. it doesn't we feel are like, the company. but It doesn't feel like my money. So my natural reaction is saying it's Cody. Like he's in control of finances. And you're like, this is not mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's that's how... The problem is that the legally, if you're an LLC and have an elected S corp, that it is your money. And that's that's the problem is that people see it as their money. And understandably, because from a legal perspective, it is. But that's why you need to prep to S corp and not treat it that way. Um, and then it's easier to to do those things. Like when we go out to eat, I, don't, I mean, within reason, right? I don't want us to be spending a thousand dollars on a meal. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna throw up. I'm gonna throw <laughs> that meal up even after I pay for it. Well, just got to live a little, Cody. <laughs> but, you know, within reason, I don't care how much it costs. As long as it's in the, the budget and we have the, the money to pay for it and it's reasonable, then I'm not sitting there like, ah, oh, yeah, we got to pinch pennies for this. It's paid for. It's already been taken to the right place because we've disassociated with it. I told I told Lauren that, like, we drove five hours to come see you and paint your your um, your basement and then drive back pretty much the next day. Thank and in, in gas, it costs us 60 bucks. She's got a Ford Focus that has great gas mileage. And she goes, well, that wasn't too bad. I'm like, we, I think we made out like bandits. Like, <laughs> we got two free meals <laughs> from Evergrow. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to pay for that. And we're coming back with like a 12-pack a of seltzers. Because <laughs> Cody bought us uh, some Trulies for... Uh, oh. I went to the store and I'm like, yes, I would like some alcohol, please. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Cody was buying that. For those of you who don't, don't listen, uh, what, what did you call it? Use a word for it. Um, teetotal. I teetotal. Drink. Yeah, he doesn't drink. So I was like, I could only imagine Cody in the liquor store purchasing alcohol the same way that when I was 18, buying a pack <laughs> of cigarettes for my friend. And it was weird. <laughs> yeah they id'd me um and i looked over to jenny and she was like yeah just be grateful you know <laughs> <laughs> and, the look on lauren's face when she doesn't get id'd she's like are you kidding me <laughs> yeah i said thanks i'm like hey yeah awesome thank you feels good <laughs> um anyway okay next one um we both we can both do this one together just because Man, we talk about this every time. Procedures and documentation, right? Do you do you have? I'm trying. How do we? Even well, you're on my list way? now. You already went through. You already went through all of yours. Now you're on my list. No, I, I got it here. If you look up, it just ran together. There wasn't extra oh, space. Oh, it yeah, processes to hand off the word. <laughs> you didn't um, go in order. Uh, here's the here's a new way to try to say this. I'd say I work for you, you the listener. You you run an agency. And then you say, hey, I need you to go set up Google Tag Manager. And I say, okay, how do I do that? Right? Because I don't know. Then what? Do you have instructions? Do you have, how do I do this not knowing how to do it? Because people say, this is, this is like a whole thing for me. And I'll, I'm keeping it in control because I hate when people say processes and systems. And I'm like, you do not know what that means. Right? You need documentation. So if I, if I need to set up Tag Manager for you, how do I do it? Do you have that stuff for me to go do it for you? I work for your agency now. I'm, I'm on the team, but I don't know how to do those things. How are you going to get that information through to me? Counter argument. I hired you for this role. You should know how to do this. Mm-hmm. 
do you pay me that much? Do you pay me to know for, you know, do you, do you pay me enough to know this for this role? Because yeah, you can, you can do that. You can say, well, I, I hired you and you were supposed to know this sort of thing. And yeah, if the pay is, is at the same level, great. If you're a small agency and you're paying, I don't know, 10 bucks an hour and outsourcing it somewhere. Now you're going to be very limited with what you're getting skill wise. And additionally to add to that too, like, what, like, what am I doing in Tag Manager? Am I, how am I tracking conversions? Is it based off of a page load when somebody submits a, a form? Is it is it based off of the actual uh, JavaScript action of submitting the form? What if I track the form and the phone call, but I forget the email click because that's not something I've done before in the past, it, but that's a process here. How would I know mm-hmm. that without you explicitly telling me every single detail of how the process should be replicated. Mm -hmm. You got to do it. You got to do it. If you want to scale, you want to turn an agency from a freelancer, you need to document how you do things so that you can teach people how to do them while you're not doing them. And I hope established agencies are listening to this too. Like I hope that I hope they, you know, at least the followers who, who do listen along because, you know, maybe the title of this episode wasn't, super applicable to them, but hopefully they're, they're finding some value in this. This is applicable to established agencies as well. If you're doing, yeah, maybe more 000, so. <laughs> okay. if you're doing 4,000, 500,000, even like I, I've seen agencies doing 4 million that don't even have processes and everything is just everybody with their hair on fire. Mm. Like this is so important and it's even harder to do once you get big. Once you get big, it's so much harder to write processes because now you don't have a process. You don't have a process to write a process and everyone's doing it on their own. It's all chaotic. You already have so much uh, time or like, uh, I guess, labor already allocated elsewhere to then, you know, write these processes. I guess, write these procedures. We had an episode on this. (laughs) Um, Then it's it just gets harder and harder versus if you just start from the ground up or you said counterpoint pay everybody 70k plus there you go problem solved right have pay them everybody figure it out what <laughs> have them figure it out <laughs> <laughs> you you pay somebody enough and then you're like well you know i pay you to know this and then the pay is proportional and then sure that's that's and, one way you can do it and that's like that consulting business model or that sweet spot kind of extending the uh scope of work to the scope creep uh, that you start kind of getting into is now instead of having these processes, you're making people not only manage their clients, but also figure out how to do things internally, which is causing them to spend more time on doing things. If you don't have the processes already outlined, uh, I wanted to take this to another, it's, it's somewhat related, but another thing that I had was not establishing a core service. And I think, I think this is, this isn't something that we have explicitly said, or, or talked about. And it's, I don't think it's something that a lot of people talk about, but what is your core? What's your number one service that you offer out of everything? And I was actually listening to Josh Hall's podcast, the web design one. Um, and, uh, he had something about, or he had, he had something about there was, it was like top five advice or something like that. And one advice was, if you have a service that really works, it really sells, double down on it. Don't diversify. And we've said this ourselves multiple times. Don't diversify what? <laughs> like diversify <laughs> a bunch of things that suck or double down on one thing that does really well. And we did this when we first started. So instead of having a ton of different services, 
we double down on SEO, Google ads. That's it. It's basically search engine marketing. That's it. And it just crushed it for us. Uh, and even to this day, we offer Facebook ads, we offer discovery ad, or now it's demand gen, uh, Spotify, like we'll do it. But I still say we're going to focus on Google ads and SEO and that's it. And what that allows us to do is it allows us to create an, an ironclad procedure that people can follow for not only onboarding clients, but executing the work on a monthly basis and finding new things to, to do for the client once all the work is executed. Once that is offboarded, being our core service, we could run an entire business off of just that one service. And we can scale an entire business off of that one service, albeit maybe slowly. But we can have uh, Angie and Eva and Laura just manage that. That's it. That's all you got to do. And then when we hire somebody else on and we keep getting more of those clients, that's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. And then Cody and myself can focus on things like research and development on, on other products to replicate that. So instead of like diving into Facebook ads and email marketing and to, uh, whatever else, um, we'll just look at what's the next thing, Facebook ads. Let's create a process for this, just like we did for SEO and PPC, and then work on that for six months until it's ironclad. And then we hand it off the team. Okay, now you have clients that are doing SEO, PPC, and social media, and they can run that business, and it's gotten much bigger. Uh, the pie has gotten much bigger of what they can handle. And then you do that with the services moving forward, but you can't do that if you don't have a core service. If you have tons of services at the beginning, everything is already fragmented, and you're already going to need multiple subject matter experts. And you're going to need people to really stretch themselves thin. And this is really good advice that we got from our first employee when she left. We had a little exit interview, uh, Courtney, and she was saying, this is a lot of information to learn for one person. All the SEO, all the PPC, all the web design, all the stuff. And that's when we really took a step back and we split the roles from one full-time role to two part-time roles specializing in two different things. And the more you add more services and, and more platforms and mediums, the different mental mindsets you need to account for. And that's why, again, doubling down on one core service that works is what's really going to help you scale and, and focus on an agency model versus that freelancer model. Mm -hmm. Dude, I went, on, I went on a podcaster rant there. That was good. I felt good about I, that one. Yeah, you should. I only had one one left here, and we're getting close to time, so um, it's kind of just wholesome. Uh, also, a warning though, it's a wholesome warning. It's that I like I like re saying what we're talking about, just so I, I get it in my brain. Why freelancers struggle to turn into agencies? It's that ah, uh, you said the negative title that we weren't going to say. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but you left it in there. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> You're I like, trapped, I'm going to do this. You. I'm doing this maliciously. I'm going to get him to say it like this. I was, I just forgot. Nah. <laughs> well, I was thinking back because we said this a while back. We're like, we're going to be more positive. And then it just kept slipping. Right. We're like, <laughs> we realize this industry just sucks. <laughs> we're just like, you know what? No. Okay. 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 Um, you need to know what you're signing up for. And what I mean by that with the agency thing is that 
you are becoming a provider and it's not just about you and that you are, you are writing people's checks, their paychecks, right. That they live on. And there is a mental shift there. And there is some, there's a different kind of lost sleep and stress associated with it. And that's what you're signing up for. And you got to be prepared. Um, I've said before, I don't, I don't like, (laughs) I don't like this. I don't, I don't like having to be this kind of person in this role. In my dream world, I'm not in charge of writing people's checks and they're in charge of any sort of their livelihoods or that sort of thing. It's the only way I know or care to do because there are other ways, but I'll say care to do because I have Jake um, to live the life that I want. And when you have the right team, it makes it worth it because you're not pulling your hair out there. Your hair out. They're helpful. Um, you feel good helping them grow as people. It's fun as it should be. Um, and if it's not fun, then think about it or <laughs> think about things. Um, but you are, you're, you're signing up for that. If that's what you want to do when you're building an agency, knowing that you're going to have to have people, you're going to have to grow a team. You're going to be responsible for them. And I think it's something that doesn't get talked about as much anymore. Everybody wants to hate on bosses. Everyone wants to hate on business owners and and people who own equity, but they do. They sign up for that. They sign up to pay people's um, their their paychecks for their livelihoods, their families, right? And if that's what you're going to go sign up for, be mentally prepared for it. And if not, don't do it, right? Don't don't add to the the shit show mess of bad bosses and bad business owners. There's already plenty of them out there. If you're going to go do it, do it right and do it to the best of your ability that you can, and just try to be a good a good one. Be one of the good ones. I like that. That was nice. Yeah, that's all I got. That was a nice. That was a nice little touch. Then why don't? Why aren't you a better boss? I know. I just, <laughs> every day, dude. Every day I wake up. I'm like, why do I suck so much? Why am I so terrible at everything? So, so when when um when that we had that ad account suspension, those those two ad account suspensions. Um, like Laura had got on a call with me. Uh, unrelated to that, it was a it was a website thing. I think I can't remember. <clears throat> but I just go, did, uh, did Cody's message scare you <laughs> this morning? Cause you sent it like right in the morning. It was like 9am and I was like, people are like just waking up and she goes, Oh my God, I was so scared. She's like, what did I do? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, so the point is to scare you a little bit because this is, it is important that these, we, we don't get suspensions. We never have. And so this is very unusual and you should not be scared of us, you should be scared of the fact that the suspension happened mm-hmm. because we, we run things the same across all of our accounts. So if two accounts are getting suspended, we have 40 accounts that are probably under attack or something, you know? Yep. So, um, that's why it should be scary. Yeah. And- I thought about that a little bit afterwards and I was like, maybe I shouldn't have said things that way. But also I thought, you know, I just, I wanted to throw stuff, right? Dude, I was like, I was there and I'm like, we, this does not happen. We are not those. We do not do this. We do not get suspended accounts, period. Like we help people get unsuspended. We never get suspended. I don't, I don't believe the WWW redirect was the cause. That would be the cause of an ad rejection. I don't think it's a suspension worthy rejection. Here's I, what I honestly, think I honestly have no idea. Go ahead. No, I, I, I do, but only because I know what's been happening with the ad support team. They're mm-hmm. doing more and more automation and they're oh. just getting more and more reckless and they don't care. 
about some of these things. So I'm guessing that at this point, they're just having bots that have gotten more extreme. And then they're just had, they're at this point handing out suspensions like candy. Yeah. Whereas before I, they used to be more cautious. I believe that. Um, I, I, this reminds me of, I told Laura about this too. I was like, usually if I have some like concerning things to say, or like I want to follow up on things, like usually I'll schedule those emails. Like if it's at night, I'll schedule those mm-hmm. emails for the morning. Cause I don't want anybody to go to bed worried that like they mess something up. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, with Eva, I don't, I know she doesn't go to bed till like 4am anyways. <laughs> So I'm just like, yeah. it'll be like 10 p.m. I'll be in my bed. I'll be like, hey, what what's going on with this? Yeah. <laughs> well, like with like with like Laura or Angie or people who have like time schedules that are like during normal working hours, mm-hmm. I, I won't send them late night messages that are concerning. Um, yeah. But yeah, and you change that, too. You used to do it. And you're like, yeah, maybe that's not great. Yeah, I yeah, I don't. any I but I still I don't have working hours of my life under control. So part of this is school. Right. That has ruined things um, because I, I can't work uh, eight to five when I have classes during those times and I have to meet with other students and whatnot. Um, so I have to make it up sometime. And that ends up being a night and on weekends. Um, but I did realize, like, even in, in the summer, I get better in the summer, but it's still I'm not I've, I've, I've not yet gotten good at that. I'm always impressed by people. You're you're very like you're like a standard human of like I wake up at this time and I do this and then I work and then I eat food and I don't have that much control of my life yet. Not really <laughs> um, to do it in like the traditional way. Um, and I think part of it is every time I've tried and attempted to, I like I sleep like a good I'm like I slept seven or eight hours and that is normal and appropriate. And then I do that and then I get to um, the next day. I'm like, I'm either not tired or I'm too tired or something it's like there's so many little things you have to do right. If you're checking off the the right things for your life, like did I eat good food? Did I exercise? Did I sleep appropriately? And it's just so hard to do every single one correctly. So it just throws everything else for a loop. And that's when that happens. I'm like, we work 16 hours straight. Let's go. And that's not a great way to do it. Do you think you have autism? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so like I Lauren when we first started dating, she actually thought I had autism because and and maybe I do. And it's just been undiagnosed because my family is of the mindset that that's not a thing for me specifically. Um and I cuz I don't like get social situations sometimes, um especially when like in close relationships. In close in close there's my stutter. In close relationships, I I struggle to know what the boundary is with like, you know, being appropriate or like taking things too far mm-hmm. with, with like small talk and new people. I'm very, I'm very good and self-aware, but it, it, this was like a cause of a lot of our like relationship issues because like, I didn't know like what was, what was too much. What was like, what, what, what wasn't and in terms of like, just, I don't know, just general topics. Like I just didn't have a filter and, mm. and there was like it kind of made me think more about a lot of certain things and i'm like i feel like i am i i am somewhat on the spectrum here because there are things that like give me like extreme anxiety that shouldn't like uh not following my daily schedule gives me extreme anxiety oh really oh yeah like so bad i ever i always wondered why you're so good at it but that makes sense if you're just anxious about it oh yeah i'm afraid of dying 
Wait, why are you going <laughs> to go kidding. straight there? <laughs> why was that? Was that the first place you went after that, uh, you're like you're like, oh no, I didn't shower at seven a.m. I'm going to die. Yeah, because the anxiety will kill me. I, <laughs> like, yeah, seriously. Like, I like I Lauren's having this big event in one of the malls that she works at, uh, and I told her I was going to go visit her. And it's like the Lunar New Year event, and there's gonna be like two hundred fifty thousand Asians there. And uh, that's important because there's going to be also a lot of Asian food, which is extremely excited for, exciting for me. And I will, um, I, I can, I, I can uh, relate to about twenty five percent of them. Hey, because so, hey, that's how Asian I am. Uh, but I told her I would go visit, and it's like thirty minutes away, and then it's thirty minutes back, and then it's like how much time I'm going to spend there. But I have I have a ton of work to get done for Evergrow, and like just thinking about it is giving me extreme anxiety. And maybe that's just normal for people like this but there's other things too like if i don't take a shower like if i'm not ready to work by 8 a.m like shower workout everything i my day starts off with extreme anxiety hmm. i learned i don't know you learned you yeah. also learned i had a stutter yeah learned a lot of things today so did the listener now they know lots about you i don't i think that i just uh i know i'm a recluse it took me a while to get that far because I used to just say I'm an introvert. And then I realized that I do things like like when I drive, I just drive like I will spend more time to drive on roads that have less cars, like things like that. Or I won't go to the grocery store until mm. like 10 p.m. at night, even though the produce is worse because I just don't want to <laughs> it's all, all see through. people. Everyone's, <laughs> everyone's licked it already. I do lots of things like that, like to just to avoid people. And I, I think that people don't realize the extent to which I really don't like even people I like, that's the problem is they take it personally because I like them. But even people I like, I don't want to spend that crazy much time with. I just like being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> listener didn't ask for any of this stuff. You're welcome, I nope. guess. Today of. you learned Cody is autistic. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I said, but we'll go. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Hope you found this valuable. Uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next time. See you.